Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshop. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook. In today's episode, we're all about encouraging homeschool parents. I'm confident you have what it takes to homeschool your children and see them thrive in their education. My guest, Peggy Ployer, is not only a homeschool parent herself, but also the founder of Sped Homeschool. I'll let her explain why she created this resource for homeschool parents. Here we go. Peggy, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jana. I'm excited to share. I'm excited too. I think that what SPED Homeschool does for the homeschooling community is uh, a specialized little niche that maybe a lot of people don't even realize that is available to homeschool families. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll move into what SPED Homeschooling is. Sure. So, um, yeah, I've, I'm a homeschool mom. That's kind of how things got started. Um, I've been homeschooling for 19 years. Uh, my oldest was actually diagnosed on the autism spectrum when he was five. And that kind of dove us into the homeschooling realm that I said I would never be part of. <laughs> and, um, and I've come to love it. And now my oldest two are graduated and my youngest is graduating this year. And so I've been, yeah, homeschooling them all, all the way through. And it just has become a passion of mine since I did not have the resources as a parent teaching a struggling student, a student on the spectrum with just what I needed, the support I needed, the encouragement that I needed. Um, And so that's what SPED Homeschool started from was I sat on the phone with a lot of other parents, just kind of walking them. I was two steps ahead (laughs) and I was the one on the phone going, you can do it because I'm doing it. (laughs) Not not well, but I'm, I'm doing it. And, you know, just, um, just helping parents is, has always been something that I have always loved to do. So, um, so I always thought it was, you know, just part of my homeschooling journey was to come alongside other parents. And, and so, so yeah, I've just enjoyed that part of it and I've, I've survived my kids. <laughs> what an example of innovation. If you can't find your community, create your community. And that's what yes. you've done with Fed. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. It, um, it just started out with, you know, saying, I, it's nice that I answer all these, these people's questions and I love being a consultant, but the problem is I'm answering the same question every year over and over again. And it's, so I know the answers aren't out there and we've got to change that. And so that that's where SPED Homeschool was birthed from is that now we have a platform that answers those questions and goes beyond that with expert advice and encouragement and support and um, resources for parents. So they can come to one place and go, yes, I can trust these people. They've been in my shoes. They maybe still are in my shoes and, and they get it. Now, have you found over the past 19 years that the um, environment or culture of homeschool itself has changed? Oh, hugely. Yes. I mean, the internet was new. 
<laughs> so, I mean, all these resources that are out there now is it's just amazing. I mean, we had email and um, and support groups. You know, the the whole thing of co ops even has evolved. And and I I always joke that I was an innovator, you know, long ago because I. I guess I had a pod, even though we never called it that. <laughs> it was what I needed. I only had two friends, both had kids on the spectrum. And so we got together and did school together. Um, and now it's the most popular thing to do. <laughs> but um, yeah, you just, you kind of do what you need to do for your family. And um, and so it's just kind of kind of grown that way. Yeah, but it's it's changed so much. I mean, just the types of people you even see at conferences, like the, the gene jumpers have kind of gone away. <laughs> you see a little more tattoos and piercings and <laughs> at the conferences. And um, and yeah, it's it's just a mix of people and people who like to outsource, you know, not just mm-hmm. mom teaching everything anymore. They're outsourcing, you know, maybe it's phi ed or a subject that mom's not comfortable with teaching or dad's dad's doing the majority of the teaching. I have actually one of my team members who does my video editing and he is the main teacher in their household. So, so yes, the, the demographics, everything has changed in the, that amount of time. I'm excited to be a part of the homeschool change that we've seen mm. over the last even two years with yeah. the pandemic. Oh, huge, um, yes. Seeing that people who maybe we like to call them reluctant homeschoolers, they mm-hmm. they didn't ever think they could do it, but if circumstances made it, you know, that was their only choice. And right. so they've come into this and they're starting to see what some of us knew all along, which mm-hmm. is this beautiful world, this hidden treasure that, you know, we kind of maybe kept to ourselves for a while, but now the world has seen, and we get to be a part of introducing that now into mainstream. Right. Yes. And, and from our community, reluctant homeschooling is usually has been the theme anyways, even before the pandemic, because a lot of parents just found that the school was failing their child. Um, I've even had parents that said that school approached them and said, I think you should homeschool, (laughs) which, you know, a lot of them were like, well, what you can't do anything for my child. And um, Mm -hmm. they, they just sometimes can't. Um, And so a lot of us in our community were very understanding when the pandemic hit and we're like, yeah, that's our story already. So, um, so come on in. (laughs) And really you paved the way for parents who maybe didn't see homeschool as an option because Mm -hmm. of a struggling student or, or even on the other side of the spectrum, a gifted student. I mean, all Mm -hmm. of these things that, you know, maybe just children who learn differently, they may not even have a label necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they learn a little differently. And so you and your community at SPED Homeschool has already this beautiful roadmap for people. Thank you. That says, you know, hey, you can do this. We've mm-hmm. done it. We've done it well, not perfectly, because not perfectly. none of us can no. do anything perfectly. <laughs> exactly. um, but I think that brings um, it brings comfort to people and validity mm-hmm. to this idea of, okay, I don't have a traditional student, but I actually can homeschool and people yeah. have done it and, and hear what it can look like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The flexibility of homeschooling is so suiting for our students because we can teach, you know, for my oldest, it was teaching a child that didn't learn to read till he was 12, but was doing mechanical engineering at the same age, you know? And so being able to, to just flip flop, yeah, we, we have different subjects and I classify you as this grade level, but, um, but we need to take our time to make sure we have the foundation for all 
learning. And sometimes in certain areas, it's going to take a little longer and that's okay. And, and they learn to be okay with that and okay with themselves too. And, um, and it's just a process of saying, we got to put all these ideas out of our head that this is what it needs to look like when you're in first grade or second grade. Um, you're just very unique. (laughs) And that's, you know, it makes them, um, a much more unique adult too. And in the, in our working world, that's what employers are looking for is somebody who knows their strengths and can really um, use them. I think maybe step one for parents who are coming into this or have been in it in a while, but maybe they're fighting a struggle is Mm. letting go of some of those expectations. It's like, we know that our children are unique, right? We Mm -hmm. have been with them from the time they were born, or maybe you've adopted children, but you've had them for a while. You're, you're in it 24 seven, but somehow that doesn't translate to the education model. And I, Mm -hmm. I get really confused by that. It's like, you're willing to let your child be unique in all these other ways, but as soon as education, is talk, brought to the table. It's like, it, it has to be done this way. Um, right. Yeah. And I know that with Bookshark, we tell people, if you have to take two years to get through the 36 weeks, you're doing great. There, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that, but it's these expectations that parents have that we put on ourselves that almost hinder mm-hmm. the success in homeschooling, especially when you have a struggling student. Right. Yeah. And it's, it all comes from the, the public school model that we think in our minds is the successful model. The problem is, is, you know, and I, I do an, a whole hour talk on this, but um, it, that model has been formed by policy and politics. It, it, it's not so much formed by what's successful in education and actually in learning research. And, and, and we do it so that we can, we can rate progress Mm -hmm. in a, in a very mass way. Um, But when you get to the point where you have a child in front of you, you have to look at more as a parent teaching like a child, a skill versus this is, the model now that we're bringing into our house to teach, you know, it's like, okay, how would you teach a child to tie their shoes? Well, you'd show them, <laughs> you'd do it alongside them and you'd repeat and you'd put them in real world experiences where they would do it. Um, and so there's how you should be homeschooling too. And it, it, it sounds so easy, but now you've got to take yourself. Okay. How do I actually do this? And I love that, you know, Bookshark has, you know, real books versus just textbooks. And, and so you can do those types of things. You can, you know, you can, I I always had my kids act out parts in, in books, you know, and, and be the people in them. And there's something about getting them immersed in that. Now, I know that there are a few common concerns that we hear from parents. And I would say parents who are new to homeschool and parents who are veterans, I think Mm -hmm. these concerns come up regardless of how much time you have put in. Exactly. That is so true. And and one of them is, um, how do I know what to focus on when teaching my child? Yeah. Yeah. I always say the thing that you're most frustrated with, (laughs) that seems to be like the lesson comes to the top. Um, But, you know, it's the basics. If a child can't read, 
then they can't do their lessons on their own. If they can't write, they can't do their lessons on their own. Um, if um, they can't do basic math, they're, they're not going to, you know, be able to do more complex math. Now, geometry is a whole nother story. <laughs> you can kind of do geometry without, you know, the basic math sometimes. Um, but, but focusing on, you know, what, what is necessary um, for this child to take the next steps. Don't look at the scope and sequence and all these other things. Um, it's, we always tell parents, focus on three goals. And those three goals may include a variety of different teaching techniques, resources, and other things to get to that goal. Um, I have one team member who was beside herself on how to teach her daughter to read. And she ended up contacting three different professionals in three different fields. And she's a, an ex-special ed teacher and she still couldn't figure it out. And she talked to these three professionals, you know, and, and they all gave her good advice. And she ended up having to combine all three of their techniques and her daughter's now reading. So it's, it's really just discerning what, what is it that my child needs most to make, to take that next step of progress and then how, what kind of resources do I need in order to help the student move there? And I know it's, it doesn't come in a box. And I, it, that's, that's the hardest thing is, you know, sometimes you'll use a curriculum and then you set it aside and then you use that curriculum or you may use it in a different way that it was even created for, you know. Um, but, but over time, you're helping your student progress. And that is what will then lead to success for all their learning. I mean, it's amazing how fast kids catch on to things. Like my son wasn't reading till he was 12. We did the basics and we did the basics and I only did as much as he could. I didn't want to burn him out. And so I gave him audiobooks. I said, you know, what do you want to listen to? And so he listened to the Narnia series and, you know, that has some complex language in it. It um, mentally, you learn sentence structure by listening that they say reading and listening to a book is equivalent. And, and so he did a lot of audiobooks. And when he made that leap at, from 12 to 13, he actually went from a non-reader to reading college level in a year. Wow. Because of that supplementary materials that I was giving him to enrich him in addition mm -hmm. to, yes, well, we're just working on this goal that eventually you got to learn to read. And, um, and so writing, of course, didn't happen till way down the road into high school that we even started writing. And he basically wrote a couple emails for me. <laughs> um, but he got A's in college because Again, we focused on the basics of what's important in writing. We enriched that. Um, so we often, you know, want to follow this timeline that's set out for us. This is the age you need to teach this, you know, focus on what does the student need most so that they have a firm foundation to build to the next place. So I personally am, I feel a lifelong learner. I, I always have, I want several books by my bedstand and probably on my coffee table and maybe even mm -hmm. one in the kitchen and I've, I'm queued up for my next podcast. And I, I'm just <laughs> like an information junkie. What I do mm. with it, I don't know, but right. it, it's all around me. It's there. <laughs> and so when I look at my children and, and I have seen them struggle in some areas, I think to myself, am I going to kill their love of learning? If mm. this is going to make them at this point, you know, just 
hands up. I don't care. I never want to do this again in my life. Mm-hmm. To me, that would be more heartbreaking than saying, yeah. okay, we did the basics. You got the minimum. You barely, if we say passed, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, because I know when it comes back around, when you're yes. at a different place in your life, a different stage of development, mm-hmm. you may see it differently, but I refuse to kill that part of it. Yeah. Um, because That's I so want good. you to mm-hmm. look and love and for the rest of your life, know that there's so much more to learn. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've seen my kids do that. You know, that's my oldest actually taught himself how to do 3d printing after he was in college. And that's actually what landed him as engineering job was that hobby, you know? And so mm-hmm. you build these skills in and my oldest or my middle one started just cooking, <laughs> you know, just teaching himself recipes and all of this stuff. After we, we gave him a gap year, we said, just learn what you want to learn. Um, and, and just kind of let it go. And, and so they all, they, that love of learning is, is so important and they'll just take off when they hit those late teens, early adulthood. Um, because we, we live in a society that, um, now I guess the statistics are that our kids will change careers seven times in their lifetime, not just jobs, careers, and they have to know what they're good at in order mm-hmm. to succeed and how to continue to reframe and retrain themselves for that next career. And so that is the best thing you can do is to, to create lifelong learners. So yeah. I completely agree. We're taking a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Sure, you can do it yourself. You can outline lesson plans every Sunday night. You can slice together mapping assignments and hands-on crafts that match your history lessons. You can pre-read dozens of books to find the best ones and then pick out vocabulary words and brainstorm discussion questions. You can look for the best science activities and then get all the supplies you'll need to do the experiments. You are more than capable of DIY homeschool, but do you really want to do all that? I mean, there's no need unless you just really love designing curriculum. Head to bookshark.com slash catalog to see the fully planned open and go options available to you. Parents love Bookshark because the heavy lifting has already been done for you. And then you get to do the fun parts. Read alouds on the couch, heart to heart discussions, kitchen experiments that make them fall in love with science. Melissa Stower says the teacher's guide, you guys supply is a lifesaver. Wonderfully put together, couldn't imagine doing this without your guides. At Little House, Big Imagination says, your science program is awesome. My daughter loves science now. Such great projects. And my favorite part is that you provide almost everything we need for it. At Green BJJ says, another year of homeschooling with Bookshark underway. This reading-centric curriculum has been a staple in our school process since Go. Secular and flexible, Bookshark curriculum comes with a 36-week planner to help guide daily instruction. This curriculum doesn't just make homeschool easy, it makes it rewarding. Check out the Bookshark catalog and create your best homeschool year yet. Get yours at bookshark.com catalog. This week's reflection is from Peggy. Families who choose to homeschool do not do so lightly. These families sacrifice careers, time, and money because they believe their children have a better future 
than most educational institutions are willing to help them achieve. We must empower these families to reach that goal and press forward in our efforts to make homeschooling a more accessible school choice. I know I didn't make the decision to homeschool lightly. In fact, there may have been some kicking and screaming on my part. Yet it didn't take long for me to realize I could do this. And Bookshark made doing it well a breeze. Peggy has so much more encouragement to share. Let's jump back in. Well, how about this? If a parent comes to you and says, I'm not seeing progress, does that, my, does that mean my child's not learning? Hmm. Sometimes, sometimes not. And that's the hard answer to that question. Um, so learning happens when we have the right neural pathways. And if we don't have the right neural pathways in place, we can give information to our child till we turn blue. And like you were talking about your daughter, not understanding what you were saying, there are certain pathways that require that. I interviewed a teacher a couple of years ago, and she said, we were taught, and she was an older woman. She said, we were taught when we taught first grade, you know, reading students that we would, couldn't start teaching reading until they could do the monkey bars, the cross lateral back and forth. Oh, wow. And it has to do with brain development. If you can't hmm. cross over and, and do that movement, your brain sides are not talking to each other. And, and so we often just think, well, we'll just kind of, you know, push reading, push reading, do this, you know, this methodology and it's, it's got to work. The problem is, is the brain has to be connected first. And so doing, you know, brain exercises and neurodevelopmental strategies, um, sometimes putting that book down for a week, doing some exercises, getting out to play will all of a sudden make the next reading lesson so much easier. <laughs> So something to think about. Um, and, and, but, but sometimes your, your child is in a shutdown mode. They have been burned out by school and learning stops also from that. And so again, taking a break does help because it allow and allowing them to see that learning can be fun versus learning's just always in a book. And that's, you know, I'm sure you guys talk about this too when, you know, the, the whole de-schooling process. Um, sometimes we have to do that more than just once <laughs> when we, we transition into the homeschooling. Um, sometimes because we have this methodology or mentality that school should look like this, that we burn our kids out ourselves. <laughs> and so we need to de-school, they need to de-school. I always found myself at the end of my school year, just kind of being burnt out myself anyways and saying, well, we just need to do a fun unit study because <laughs> I can't really teach more. Um, but it would end the year on a good good um, vibe. And the next year we'd start kind of the same thing. Learning's fun. Um, and then the books would eventually creep in <laughs> and, and we'd, you know, learn those basics, foundational things. Um, and, you know, in there, the other possibility is your child has a real learning struggle. So I'd say, you know, after you've taken the breaks, after you've tried some fun things, if you come back, still nothing's happening. You, you may want to sit down with a professional, get some, get some evaluations done. Educational psychologists um, are usually a great resource. There's a lot of different therapists too, that do like less expensive educational testing that can kind of stay, well, this is what I'm seeing that you as being so close to your child 
have either compensated for <laughs> or you just haven't seen it because you've become so frustrated with the process. So it's it's having just this third party involved that can maybe give you a, a little bit more of an unbiased opinion about what's going on. Well, that's great information. I think it's something that because as parents, we are super close to it, we mm-hmm. tend to forget that there may actually be something that um, is diagnosable and then treatable, mm-hmm. even yeah. on a small scale. Well, it when we blame huge. ourselves too, mm-hmm. it, we can easily say, well, it's my fault. I'm just a bad teacher. And mm-hmm. you don't realize your child actually has a learning struggle. <laughs> right. Right. And I have found, again, looking at adults that they have learning struggles that were never identified. Mm -hmm. And so then we kind of overcompensate and go, oh, well, yeah, maybe I did. That looks like how I was a little bit, but I turned out okay, or or it's okay. Instead Mm. of going, oh, maybe we need to get that looked at a little closer and and know better and do better. And I just Mm -hmm. think as parents in this day and age, we have no excuse for not knowing better and doing better in these areas. Exactly. It's, it, it was like when my son was diagnosed on the spectrum, I explained it. I mean, there was only two books at that point that existed on high functioning autism. And I read it, the description to my mom and she's like, well, but that's you. <laughs> and it was this realization that I had been struggling so much with myself and being so down on myself because of the way my brain worked. And it didn't seem to work like other people's. And, and so it was a relief to me when I was like, oh, I have autism. I get it now. I understand why I have to like copy people when I talk. And it, mm-hmm. it, a lot of people don't even realize it because I've gotten so good at it. My daughter's really good at telling me when I'm masking and not. Um, but oh, leave it to our yeah. children to let us know. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, it, a lot of times parents will say, I don't want to diagnose them. I don't want that stigma. Sometimes that, that diagnosis is a huge relief to your child. Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, you know, you can have that discussion and like with my oldest, he knows, but he doesn't want to be labeled and, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. My middle child will tell everybody in the world that he has dyslexia. (laughs) And, and so, because reading is really is a a very big struggle for him. And, um, and so he'd rather just put it out there. And I mean, he has a physical disability as well. So um, that's not as easy to, to, work around. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think being, I think one thing that benefits homeschoolers in general is just being authentic, just mm-hmm. being true to yourself. Don't just, I mean, yeah, you could continue to mask things, but who is that? Mm-hmm. It's not helping you. It's not, not helping, helping your child. Exactly. And if our goal is to raise lifelong learners who are um, producing citizens, then mm-hmm. we really need to let some of that go. And just, it is what it so is. True. I mean, mm-hmm. the realization that probably most of us are walking around with some type of disability in some way or another. Right. You have someone who comes to you, says, my child won't listen, can't communicate, mm-hmm. can't sit still. So how is it even possible that I could teach them, to, let alone teach them at home? Yeah. Communication is so key. And it it starts out by just learning how they communicate and, and the best route to get information to your child. We even have parents in our community that homeschool nonverbal children. But again, it's, it's focusing on the communication first, not putting books in front of them and saying, well, this is how I'm going to teach you. And this is how I'm going to be able to gauge whether you're learning or not. 
it's going to look very different um, for your child because your mode of delivery. I mean, if you had somebody talking to you in a different language and they were an expert at whatever they were talking about, you still aren't going to learn anything because you don't understand them. And our, we do a lot with our kids that way. It's like, you know, you talking about your daughter and trying to explain something and it not getting through. She at least had the language to tell you, I don't understand. A lot of times our kids will just shut down. You'll see behavior happening. Behavior is one of the biggest keys that communication is not happening because Mm. kids actually want to learn. They are inquisitive. And so you have to to figure out how are we going to communicate? Well, go back to, again, how do we communicate about things around the house? And it, um, it means that, you know, we have to figure out how does this child going to be able to, to learn certain subjects? And it's going to be a lot of trial and error and, and going through that. But when you get to that communication piece, and it may take a long time, they may need um, a board with certain things that they can point to. They may need an iPad that speaks for them. They just may need you to take it slower, to use um, a, a graphic, you know, an organizer of some sort to organize information. They may have an executive function issue that, you know, scrambles up things or they can't keep track of a lot of things. So you may need to um, find a way that you don't have a lot of manipulatives. I mean, hands-on things are great, but when you have a child who has a scattered brain, that, that ends up being more information and it kind of overloads them. Um, but again, it's it's back to this trial and error and, and trying to figure out, well, what, what do I want to teach them? How, how can that delivery happen? How can I find out back um, what they know? And sometimes it may be, you know, your child may never write a paper for you, but they may be able to orally tell you. They may need show you through example that they, they got it. Um, the, but there's just, there's so many things, um, but that communication is the key piece to, to learning. And so um, it's, it, it's getting that connection with them. So as a paid communicator, I <laughs> am, I love words. I love to use words. I love mm-hmm. to read words. I love to hear words. And my youngest, there, there are times where I think my words actually overwhelm her. Hmm. where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just pouring out my words because that's who I am. And it works really well for me. And I kind of can talk it through and, and, and talk. And I'd like to argue with myself a lot because, <laughs> and even and out loud, because that helps me through my process. And then I can mm-hmm. get to the other side. Well, I have found that sometimes the more I talk, the more she doesn't talk right. and then she starts to shut down. And then I start talking more. And, and I think she's, just shut me out. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. and she probably has. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then it's like this fear. So then I keep talking, right. (laughs) I'm just making it worse. So I have now begin to start asking her like on a scale of one to 10, Mm, um, if if you need to tell me in a color, if tell me how you're feeling, maybe right now, just in a color, like Mm -hmm. just trying again to know that my way isn't working. Mm-hmm. And although it works for me, it's right. not the same for her. And so mm-hmm. I need to take myself out of the way and yeah. focus on mm-hmm. what she needs. And that sometimes means me being quiet. Right. 
Exactly. Yes. And less is better for some kids. And some kids just want more and more and more and more, more. And, you know, they, they want to touch you. They, they want to be next to you. They can't learn unless there's action going on. I had one son that we always had to be jumping <laughs> for information to get in. And so we got a good workout every day, you know, jumping on, on, um, just sight words or math problems. And, and, you know, it, but, but again, it, it was different for every, every child. And, and so, but yeah, get, getting that key to where, how best is that information coming in and then, you know, being okay with, well, this is how I'm going to evaluate that it's, it's, it's going in <laughs> and it may not look like all the perfect answers on a test. Um, and our kids may interpret, you know, the, the one thing that I found over time was that a lot of times when like tests are written with curriculum, um, my kids, especially and kids on the spectrum are very black and white. They would read into the questions and get a lot wrong. And so then they beat themselves up. I got it wrong, but I knew the subject. And so mm -hmm. I would go through with them. What were you thinking when you answered this? Why did you answer it this way? And I, I would say, you know what? We're doing the test as a practice. This is not going to evaluate whether you know the stuff or not, but I want you to learn how to take tests. Um, but walk me through your thinking process so that I know what you know. Mm -hmm. And, and that was a great relief to them that it wasn't just what somebody else wrote that, that they had to like guess it right, because there's so much gray area sometimes in some of those multiple choice questions that they would overthink it most of the time and then get it wrong. I think that's one of the things I love about the classical idea of learning is that it's not on a piece of paper, it's through discussion. So when I right. do read aloud to my children and then we talk about it, and if I do, you know, in Bookshark, we have cues, we have questions mm -hmm. we can ask, and then they get it wrong. And I'm like, well, where'd you get that from? But then right. like you're saying, they can tell me the background. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay, you did read it, you uh -huh. were paying attention, but that particular item in the book stood out to you. Right. Yeah. And it's not what the, maybe what the question to the answer, but you mm -hmm. definitely are able to show that you absorb that information. Exactly. And that's why discussion is so important. It is. Yes. When mm -hmm. you're teaching your children. Yeah. For that very yeah. reason. Right. And, and we don't live life in right and wrong answers. You know, like, like you said, there's so much gray. There's so, so many, and that you don't want to stunt their, their thinking, their creativity either. And that allows them to bring out, like you said, the uniqueness of what they, they found was most important in what they mm -hmm. were reading. It wasn't just, well, this is what the author or the, you know, whoever wrote the questions thought was most important. And, um, and it allows them to, to realize that they, they have something to say too. And yeah, you just never know. <laughs> and so many times both answers are right. Yes. Or all the answers are right. And I know, I think as parents, that's hard for us to hear because mm -hmm. that, that opens up a whole nother topic that we could go on for another hour of <laughs> how, if everything can be right, how is nothing wrong? And mm -hmm. that's not at all what we're saying, but a lot of times it's not mutually exclusive. It can right. be A and it can be B and sometimes even C or all of the above. But if you mm -hmm. don't give time or space for those answers to come out, um, right. you just, you lose, you can lose. And that will lose love of learning because mm -hmm. I didn't get it right next time. I'm not going to answer. Right. Yes. And the, the great thing about homeschooling is you don't have to worry about getting the answer fast. Like you're the first 
child in the room to raise your hand. Because yeah. like my kids, I'll have low processing speeds. And a lot of kids who are on the spectrum do. It takes them longer to think about it. But when you get the answer from them, it is a very complex answer. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. worth the time. It's not, you know, you don't want to rush it. And, and communication is like that too. Your child may be just be thinking and it may not be coming out for a while, um, but, but there's still something going on there. And so don't think that, you know, when you've taught something, it's just gone into this void, it will come back around. Yeah. Well, Peggy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to um, just walk us through some of these common concerns that parents Mm -hmm. have. Um, Thank you for SPED Homeschool and what you have done for this community and that you've made it accessible to everyone, Mm -hmm. which is a huge benefit to the homeschool community. So we want to thank you for that. That's all for this episode. Until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.